Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. Today, I am joined by Lisa McVicker. She's a change advocate, certified professional coach, change management practitioner, yoga instructor, and if you can believe it, so much more. Charging through these challenging times, Lisa is passionate about building diversity and inclusion into the workplace and creating safe and productive spaces for people to flourish. Today, we're going to dive into the importance of self-empowerment and self-acceptance as catalysts to courage. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Amazing. So you've mentioned to me that you're in the middle of a change in life yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to how you got to today? Yes, yes. Um, About a year ago, I was thinking of leaving my job. Um, I had a job where I had a team of 18 people that I was directing and fabulous group, really fabulous group spread across Canada. And so they're very diverse and fun group a very um, challenging work in the sense that we were always under the gun. And I thought, you know, I've been working for about 32 years and I think I need a break. <laughs> so, so I decided that I was going to take some time off and just do some fun things, things that I wanted to catch up on, reading, studying, you know, explore life a little bit. Amazing. And, uh, and so I did early this year, I gave my notice. <laughs> wow, it's a big step. It is. It is. So leaving security is very difficult. And um, we all have different levels of what we find secure. And as you get older, you tend to sort of amass and things get bigger and bigger. And so it gets harder to leave something. Mm. And and so when I finally did make the decision, I felt quite free. But then about two weeks after I gave my resignation, we were in COVID lockdown. Oh gosh. And and <laughs> there's a curveball uh, for you. <laughs> and I thought, wow, oh, what do I do now? Do I go running back or do I keep moving forward? And uh, I chose moving forward because in my mind the hard part was already done, meaning right. in my head I had prepared for this and I thought I've already jumped off the cliff, like shouldn't I just keep going? <laughs> Yeah, forward is generally the best way to go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that was a very liberating um sort of aspect to happen anyway because the future didn't really look as I thought it was going to look but having that conviction of moving ahead turned out to be a really good thing. So you were actually then living the definition of courage which is being afraid to do something and doing it anyway. So I can imagine moving away from this secure very comfortable space into the unknown was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. And I actually was given a choice. The company came back to me and said, oh, you know, uh, given the situation, do you want to renege? Do you want to stay? And and I said, look, I'm not going anywhere. So I will stay a little longer if you need me. And I ended up staying about two and a half, three months to help a new person get into the role. Um, but other than that, I, I kind of kept on going, which which was uh, unique, actually, to be able to sort of know that you're leaving and try to tie things up and so it was it was a comforting departure for me because it gave me a lot of runway into where I was going. That's amazing. And, and what was the driving force behind that decision? 
it was um, sort of, there was something in me that, that was saying, you know, is this all there is for me to do? What, what else was I curious about in the sense that I knew I was doing good work. I was working with fabulous people, but there was something saying that something's got to change. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I don't, you know, my, my life is, has been up and down like anybody else's, yeah. but, but at this time there was a, there was an unsettling going on. So there was something deep inside me saying, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. And part of it was health. Part of it was, I wasn't as challenged in my brain anymore. And, and I needed to flourish again. That's amazing. So you said one word there that I'm, I'm curious for you to expand on. And actually, curious is the word. <laughs> um, so you said that this, this curiosity, and you've often talked about, you know, living a life of curiosity. How, how can you expand on that and explain that a little bit more? So- so I think curiosity is essential for life as humans. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I have this theory that we are made up mostly of water and we are yes. meant to flow. And so oh, if, we, like if we stay stagnant, we're actually going against our very nature of constantly flowing. And, um, and you know, water likes to find the path of res- resistance and humans by and large do that, you know, <laughs> if no one's looking. If we allow it, if, if we, we don't build it. the dams and the barriers, then it flows. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so when is it appropriate and when is it something that becomes a strength um, or is it something that holds you back? But this idea of being curi- curious is is how my path has been carved out, if you will, out of, out of that um, stone or that river, because every time I'm kind of the person that keeps picking up stones and saying, what's under here? What's under here? <laughs> I love it. And I think that came from being transplanted. We, um, I came to Canada when I was quite young. Um, our family immigrated from India and we were all born there. I had two brothers and a sister. And so there was six of us and all of a sudden we're here. And, um, and I remember it's the first time in my life I thought, Oh, I'm brown because I didn't know I was brown until I got to Canada. <laughs> nobody else, you know, you, it was obvious because people looked at you differently. Right. And so I be, I started at a very young age thinking, I am just really wondering about all of this. You know, I'm, I'm wondering where did I come to? I know where I came from, uh, but from a child's mindset. And so yeah. that curiosity set in really early that I need to know, I need to know. And it, it just kept on building from that. So it must have been a very or obviously it's a very different experience in what's going on in Canada and the world from when you first immigrated uh, into this sort of new place. And I I understand that having uh, lived through that myself when I was 14 um, to where we are now and the sort of awakening that's happening. Yes, this um, this is one of the things that I chose to study. Actually, mm-hmm. I went to um, one of the certificates I took is through UBC, University of British Columbia, which is yeah. their diversity and inclusion certificate. And I wanted to really look at this because given everything that has unfolded in this year and everything that I faced, you know, th- there were some times in my childhood where, you know, you were sort of chased and called names and unfortunately beaten up at times and, mm-hmm. and go two different ways on that. You know, you can become bitter or you can remain um, in a place where you have faith in, in humans and right. in, in empathy. And so our parents were always of the thought of sort of turn the other cheek. You know, they, mm-hmm. they said people don't understand we're newcomers here and they were really, really patient with us around 
what we felt, but also how we needed to assimilate because they came to the country for us, you know, for, for a better life. Right. They didn't actually need that. They were well off when, 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 from when we came up, they came for us. Yeah. And so there was always a sense of, okay, mom and dad sacrificed. We needed to really make something of ourselves. And so all four of us really, we were, we were very aware of this and the worst thing you could have done at that point is disappoint your parents you know? yeah. oh i hear that <laughs> that kind of um guilt i understand is. that yes <laughs> so, so but there was there was a lot of sort of joy as well you know we we, we love our parents and they're still with us today thank goodness and so they're seeing now the fruits of their sacrifices and labor in, in our families and our children and that sort of thing. So when we came um, in the 70s, there was a backlash towards people that came from India or Pakistan and, and these places. And so we did get that initial brunt of it. And as the decades went along, we assimilated and things got kind of okay. You know, if there was racism, it was very low-key or kind of dressed up so that you didn't know it was there it was minimized (laughs) and and I think Canada kind of floated along like that I mean each new group came in and they felt something but then you get absorbed into this sort of systemic aspect of racism until earlier this year that I actually felt the shift of with Black Lives Matter and everything that unearthed from people just dying because of who they were. Right. And, um, and that sort of turned everything upside down. It was a call to action. And I was in, I decided I wanted to study this. I'd been putting it off way too long. And so I jumped in. <laughs> That's amazing. And I think, you know, the movement of Black, Black Lives Matter, when you saw the protests happening, everywhere around the world, including places like Syria. And it was just, it was unbelievable, the sudden awareness. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't only about Black Lives Matter. It was about all of that sort of systemic racism that's been happening globally for so long. Um, And I think what happened or from what I observed, and I haven't studied it at all, this is just my own experience, but it's, Um, everyone started asking more questions and the curiosity that you're talking about started to come out and they're asking questions to understand. Um, Precisely, precisely. And and this is the beauty of it. It's um, we can go along in our world, but you get COVID and then you get Black Lives Matter, you get all the unrest and you thought, okay, you cannot ignore this at this time. It doesn't matter what color you are, you cannot ignore this. And so asking those questions requires some courage, um, and also the ability to say that you don't have the answers. This is this is a hard thing. No one's going to solve this overnight. We didn't get into this overnight. It took mm-hmm. hundreds of years to get to the state that we are in. Uh, I mean, coming from a very colonized country to another very colonized country, you actually don't know that you've been colonized because it's your normal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, and this is most important because we are settlers here as well. We come to this country and it's really the land acknowledgements and the people that were here before us Absolutely. that are to be honored. And so when you go that far back and you realize that most people have not been taught the proper history around that. And when we do find out, all sorts of uncomfortable things come up. You know, there's shame, there's um, anger, there's this idea that, that, you know, we have to write it. 
but there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction to righting the wrongs as well because people want that discomfort to disappear really quickly yes yes but but we don't learn if we don't feel it (laughs) you have to you have to go through that that pain and that's where you learn not the easy way out is never the way um the way forward Exactly, exactly. So some of the things that I've learned through my yogic studies, through my coaching, is this idea of creating a safe space of non-judgment. And this is something everybody can do for everybody. And it takes a little work because we're hardwired in our DNA to judge. You know, this is why everybody has unconscious bias of some sort. And so we have to work hard at creating that, that, even that, benefit of the doubt if you want to call it or something that says let me hear it out even if I don't agree with it let me hear it out so that I can at least literally focus on the other person so if you're in a situation where someone is saying something or acting in a way that makes you uncomfortable it's not a blatant or obvious situation how do you create that safe non-judgmental space like for yourself in your own mind and then for anyone who's around you so so it does start with yourself um because as you know when you have um resistance needs resistance right yeah. when, when yeah. you push against something if you if you if you have something pushing back that's a constant resistance and that's not yeah. bad it's just something that happens but what you you have to sort of look at what do i want as an outcome here do i want understanding do i want a common ground and by the way this is another human so even if i don't want to believe what they're saying or agree with what they're saying they still have the right to take up space and they still have the right to be equal as another human so if you can go into it with that meaning meaning it's it's not a right or wrong situation it's a let me understand situation got it so open your own mind first it has to because if you don't suspend judgment that's the first step in creating the space because the other person will feel it right away because if you meet Mm -hmm. them with the resistance there's no open space there oh yeah that's when the fight starts (laughs) yeah yeah but if you say "I'm, i'm hearing you out and when you think about it as humans that's what we want to be we want to be understood we want to be heard we want to be seen we want to belong And we only get that by extending to another human that space to belong in. Got it. Not easy. (laughs) No, not easy at all. And if you can get through that for yourself, how do you then start um, engaging those around you? Like you might be in a small group or, and one Mm -hmm. person is kind of, saying or acting in a way that's inappropriate and there would be different opinions in the room and in the group. Um, Once you've sort of set your own mindset, how do you, how do you help others along that journey? You, um, so a lot of it is, this is where diversity, inclusion and equity, these terms come into play. You know, there's, um, first of all, you can observe, you know, if you're in a setting and you look around and you say, who's represented? Where are these thoughts coming from? And so first you need to digest that. And most people, that's the first part. We're not aware of the actual environment that we're in and whether that is an environment that's created at work or home or, you know, in community, we tend to just take it as normal. And this is how systemic racism comes in because whatever you think is normal, you don't question. 
Right. So before you even question, you need to observe, right? What's happening? Who's doing the talking? Who's dominating the, t- the talking? Whose rules are we playing by? So these are the things you first do, okay. which means that you are suspending judgment because you're observing first. Now, if you're not sure of what to say, you can say something and then just realize that something might come back that you're not prepared for. Wait for the reaction to see what happens. Yeah. Or you could choose to suspend voice and judgment until you have a better grip on the reality that's facing you. Inaction is just as important as action. Now, if somebody is in trouble or if somebody has been wrongly accused or if somebody is being berated or belittled, definitely step in. Oh, that's you know, a different, yeah, th- yeah. That's a different story. But if you're yeah. first trying to just create a space where people are just trying to understand each other, the best thing you could do, if you, especially if you're the facilitator, is to give everybody equal time, for example. Got it. I mean, I don't know how many meetings you've been in, but I know there are certain meetings where there's three people that do all the talking and then in the last five minutes, the other people get to talk, you know, yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's, that's actually a good tool for inclusion is making sure everybody gets equal time and has the ability to speak their mind. Equal voice at the table. Exactly. exactly. Got it. And in work environments, a lot of corporate environments, it's almost like you get into this running the machine mentality versus um, balancing that with the human side. So, um, and I work for Sobeys and I'm, I've been actually very proud of how we've, we've been managing diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, our CEO made very bold statements as soon as Black Lives Matter um, movement started and all of these things. And what I've loved about it is that we've created um, safe spaces and safe conversations. And the topic is diversity and inclusion and <clears throat> what special guest speakers, or it would just be you know, a group for you to come and speak freely about your experience and what it's like to work there. And, you know, allies welcome everybody, you know, come with an open mind. Um, so I've been lucky that I'm in a corporate environment that balances that. Um, but what would your advice be for those that are in a culture that is far more, I guess, rigid than that and kind of has this corporate performance machine operation Yeah, mentality? there's, I mean, just like there's so many people, there's so many cultures of groups. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, it, it, it's interesting because you really have to know where you are in your own understanding as well. Mm-hmm. And because we talked about lived experiences, very different if you're the lived experience of BIPOC or a particular gender or, you know, if you if you have um, a disability or something. Right. So. So and and not everything's obvious. So so starting with the conversations is important. So if if a company hasn't even one thing I learned in diversity inclusion, I'll back it up a bit. You have everything from denial to full on adaption. (laughs) and and then smack dab in the middle is something called minimizing and most of our corporations or our entities and they can be nonprofits too you know we now that you look at everything you just look at anything how is it organized who's at the top who's making the decisions right and minimizing is something that corporations or any organization might do where they say and you've heard this we're all equal Mm everybody's equal. We don't see color here. We don't see gender here. We just, and I'm kind of like, if you don't it's see funny. Me, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, or when people say, I don't see color, I think you're lucky. 
that's a privilege unto itself because you have never been judged for the color of your skin. So Correct. therefore you don't see it. Excellent so, point because you don't know what you don't know. It's normal. You don't know. Yeah. So what corporations have gotten really good at, particularly corporations, because they want the results and they want the innovation and they want, um, it's, it's, let's just point everybody to getting the results. So the way that we minimize anything here that's uncomfortable is we have all these little checkbox we have about diversity inclusion, we have our mi um, mission statement, our vision statement. Yeah. And if you step over the line to call that out, you're saying we're not, even though we're telling you we are. All right. So what I would suggest to people first is if you really want to know if your organization is walking the talk, mm -hmm. start looking at statistics. Mm. Right. So, so yes, you have all these people that you're hiring. Are they staying? Are they being mentored? Are they in positions of, of decision-making, right? So start looking at, ask for the statistics, go to human resources, you know, figure it out from that sense. You probably have a sense anyway, because if you're met with minimizing, when you go to say something, don't rock the boat, you know, why are you doing this? We're all the same. We're just trying to get this work done because most people don't want that extra aggravation. Right. And they'll call it that. Or you could be labeled as someone who's a bit of a disturber or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so these are all um, evidence of people not being accepted for who they are. Right. And and so first, if you're in, a, in an organization, ask for the evidence. And I think this is a time where you can ask for the evidence. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it, maybe not 10 years ago, maybe not 20 years ago, but now you can, because it's usually, I would say the more, majority of corporations that I'm seeing are scrambling to get this stuff because um, yeah. they don't have the metrics and they're trying to figure it out. So yeah. even if they're doing that, that's great. The other thing I'd really look for is, is it siloed? Does everybody believe that an EDI is a human resources problem? Mm. Um, because it's not. <laughs> it's not. It has it's to not. be part of every team across the entire organization yeah. has to be part of the culture. Yeah. It's, it's integration. And yeah. so if your HR person isn't there for you with other aspects of your job or, or they're ineffective or they're basically their existence is there to keep the um, liability away from the corporation, <laughs> then you, and, and it doesn't take too much to figure that out. <laughs> so, so first I would be sure of what you have, you know, okay. what are you dealing with? And then in the context of that, understand whether it's a place that you want to be, because now is not the time, Fair. you know, to, to, um, can you, can you become who you want to be there? And it might take some effort on a lot of people's part for that to happen. But if you don't see that allyship and you don't see that uh, even that hope of a fertile ground, then you might want to take your talent somewhere else. Right. Because talent is something that is um, <laughs> everybody's seeking. Very appreciated right now. Right? Yeah. We were in a war for talent before COVID came around, before um, the unfortunate aspect of George Floyd came around. And now that's made it even more. So mm -hmm. This is now also to segue into empowerment. We have a lot more power than we think we do. And it's a matter of exercising that power. So you, it does take courage. That 100% takes courage because when you've been told for decades that you can't speak or you shouldn't speak or it's not yeah. right to speak, yeah. you have to say enough. But really important to be respectful. 
because we're still human beings. We, we're, we're still trying to figure it out. Um, I'm married to a fellow from the East Coast and yes. he's white. What is that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we have two beige children. And, um, and what does that mean for them? You know, yeah. so so I always look at it that it's people first and you can't it, it, because it, it it's OK to see difference. But as long as you treat that difference with equality. Mm. Yes, respect for both. And that's part of what you talked about in the beginning in terms of that resistance. If you meet somebody with a resistance, then you're only going to get that back. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's so, got to take the bold step. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think. um Sometimes I wonder if uh, we almost, not that it's overcorrection, and I'm not sure if I'll articulate this probably, but again, it's just my lived experience. So um, I've had a fairly successful career, and, and when I was promoted, I got some of the, oh, well, you check all the boxes. You're a minority, you're a woman, you're, a, of course, you got that job. And I was a little bit taken aback because in my mind, I was like, I got this job because I have the skills and talent to do it. Not because exactly. now I'm being judged in a different way because of gender or skin color or ethnicity or whatever. And it's almost like I had to work harder to prove that I had the skill and I deserved 100%. it. So it's, it's like you want the data and you want the statistics, but then you don't want to just be a statistic. It's a very strange paradigm. <laughs> it, it is. And, and that is the little net with the, that we find ourselves caught in, you know, so yeah. we're darned if you do, darned if you don't, because, right. because the rules exist for certain people in their favor. And this is what right. systemic racism is about, or, is that you have to deconstruct it to see whether it's actually fair. You know, all the yeah. rules, all the policies, all the procedures. Is it actually binding somebody or allowing some to go through? And what you just said, this has been going on for decades. So first with the gender movement mm -hmm. and then uh, obviously with any with the BIPOC movement as well. Right. And and more so because if you are anything other than white male or have been for some time, you were hired on your potential. Right. Whereas if you didn't fit that, then the presumption is you were hired on your talent. Right. Not only by who was doing the hiring, but by yourself, because you figured that is the equalizer. Mm. All things being equal, I've been hired for what I know and what I do. Right. And that is the minimalistic way of looking at it because, or the minimizing way of looking at it, because that was what was put in the system to make it work for certain people because you didn't have to be qualified as a white male for certain things, but you still got that job or that promotion. Right. And so this is, this is something that is not easy to prove, but when you look at statistics, somebody has to explain. <laughs> so it backfires if you're anything but a white male. Now there will be a time where a lot of white males are feeling, but now I feel yeah, they feel the opposite now. Yeah. Like they don't have a chance in hell of getting anything because they're the it's white Why people, am I right? being punished, right? Yes. And I kind of joke about this, but then I also allow some space. I'll go, welcome to the world of racism, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. See how welcome this feels? Welcome to the club. Yeah. yeah. See how Not this that feels? I would want anyone to feel it, but welcome nonetheless. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's it's part of that discomfort. Right. So for years yeah. as as a BIPOC person, you have been uh, co-opting and assimilating and 
not bringing everything that you are to where you're going because right. you're playing the game. Mm-hmm. And so that, so that other person could not be uncomfortable. But now that the tables are starting to shift and turn, that discomfort is being felt by a different group. Mm. And they're not understanding it yet because it's very fresh for them. Whereas we've had maybe decades or maybe you know hundreds of years of ancestry feeling this. Feeling this, yeah. They've never felt it before. Mm. And so that applies to ageism. It applies to add anything you want in the ism. But at different times of their life, people will go through these things. But when you start to add a number of these intersections, right? So being a woman, being brown, maybe of a certain age, maybe of a certain gender or or an affiliation. And you, the more intersections you have, actually the more adaptive you are because you've had to navigate that field. And it's important, I think, to talk about it also when it's happening. Um, And I expressed it quite freely, actually, when I when I was promoted. It it was when I got promoted to vice president that most of it came out. Um, And it made sure that I, you know, I articulated that. And I remember we were at, you know, we were having we were going through a big restructure at the time. And we were having the discussion about picking our teams. and, And we had HR there. And, you know, they were they're doing a good job of ensuring there is diversity on, on every team. And, and I felt it was swinging a bit too far. Um, and I just sort of raised my hand and, or stepped in and I said, you know, don't hire this person just because they are, you know, of color or woman, like, do they have the right qualifications? And, you know, and I said at that table with all of these new leaders that, you know, I would never want to be hired just because I, I checked a box and they all looked at me kind of stunned. And I was exactly. like, uh-oh, what did I just say? <laughs> Good for you. That's, but, a, <laughs> that's a courageous move. And, and I think it's really important. You bring up now leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's incumbent on leadership to give permission for the conversations, right. to call things as they are. Yeah. And to to kind of bring in the equality because we don't want the reverse and have the same problem. Right. Because we don't want the quality. Yes. <laughs> and if we achieve yes. equality, then everybody will be there on merit opposed mm. to on who you are, what color skin you are or who, you know, and all these sorts of things. Right. And so if if you don't use your power, mm. then it is lost because then it's only for your gain. And it's not it's not lifting all the boats at the same time. So, so wonderful that you are doing that. And what we're seeing now is more people need to open the doors for more people and, and call it when it's tipping, right? It's, it's um, nobody of color wants to be known that they got there because of color. They, I, 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 I've never had the conversation where everybody was sort of walking around going, hey, look at me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's insulting and, and it, it is, feels yeah. awful because you're more than the color that you are. And, right, and yeah. I think this is what um, we, we in the equality business is saying, it's really about that. It's, it's who is the person. Well, to, you know, to step up like that, um, and one of my mentors taught me, like, you're sitting at a table, you have a voice at a table, and she always said, speak up. Um, but it takes a tremendous amount of uh, courage. And, you know, I try to coach, you know, younger women um, and younger people in general than me uh, through it now. But 
that self-talk and and how you kind of create that in your own mind is so important um and really hard to do so even when i say something now in my mind and people have no idea they're like oh you come across very confident i'm like oh that's hilarious you should see here what's going on in my head right now (laughs) so all that you know self-doubt is still there 100% because um, confidence is a repeated pattern, right? You get better and better and better because you're going to do it and and you get and you learn from that confidence. Um, But you have to start somewhere. Right. There aren't that many people that are born with just pure confidence. I I just, you know, if they are that way or you met them at a certain point, you might have precocious children, you know, who are just going, ah, (laughs) I want to do this. Introvert versus extrovert. That's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes to maybe ideas, insights and actually standing up for something, Mm -hmm. the way that I try to find my confidence in things is I try to imagine it in a way that what if I didn't say something, you know, I I look at, am I causing more harm by not saying something? Because I know I wouldn't want to do that. So, so I always kind of look at it and say, by saying something, and when I say harm, I mean, basic rights of people, right? Not, not necessarily because somebody could say, oh, well, you're, you're making discomfort for somebody. Well, this is the human condition. We live in discomfort. <laughs> it's, Welcome to life. Yeah. So in, what is it in aid of? And that's where I go. So if someone is truly suffering and it is an injustice, I find my voice. Oh, yeah. As hard as it is, I will find my voice. And oftentimes what I find is that if I let my heart lead with that, it's not that hard. If mm. my head's getting in the way, it gets hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's also maybe not about just who's in the room or, you know, it's about who's coming after you and, you know, younger generations and how will this kind of impact things. And that might be a lot to think about it on the spot in one moment. Um, but I think it's something that I kind of try to reflect on. After. I think it's a beautiful um, way of looking at it. There Many of the indigenous people um, look at it this way. They are honoring seven generations behind them and seven generations in front of them. So they have a very futuristic view of that. They are so connected to the earth and to their ancestors that they're always trying to do the right thing for the time, but the future and the past in mind. Mm. So it's it's not that difficult if you know who you are. Mm. It's discovering who you are, which takes more than... Five decades easily. <laughs> I can tell you. I can tell you. I'm in my fifth decade, and it's every decade gets a little bit better. But you That's have good. to have. Yeah, but you have to get that curiosity, right? Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, have curiosity about yourself because okay. that's the only person that you can control. Mm-hmm. And understand your emotions and understand where they come from. Understand why you feel a certain way, um, and then you'll have a better understanding of those around you. And even how to develop your own empathy. So when you start right. thinking that way, it's not that difficult to start thinking that big. Gotcha. And sometimes, you know, when you're going through these big conversations or you're, you know, you're sucking yourself up to step in here, it, it can be... Um, Sometimes it's going to result in a, a not great experience or a great experience. So 
in the situations where in these tough times and tough battles, how do you find that sort of motivation to keep powering forward? It's, um, I, I go back to knowing yourself really well, because, because it's really a, a discovery of the self. You know, having that courage is digging down into a place of fear. It comes mm. from there. Um, because if we had all the confidence in the world, we'd never be afraid. We'd never, you know, so if I'm really afraid of something, I, I kind of dive into that and I go, what is it here that I'm afraid of? Is it, is it the people being accused? Is it my reputation? Is it, and oftentimes it's, you have to tease apart your personal blocks and fears from what is being called on. And, right. and I've been in a, you know, a puddle <laughs> because it hasn't come out. You're all so overwhelmed that you can't even get the words out. And, like, right. and I and, have been there too. And I get <laughs> so mad when that happens. I'm like, this is not, I'm not, this is not what I'm trying to express. I'm just releasing something. Yeah, and it's not even coherent <laughs> sometimes. No. <laughs> but, but it's, but that idea that you even push to get it out means that it's coming from a really deep place. And don't discount that your fellow human doesn't understand that, even if they didn't understand the words, because we communicate far beyond our words. You know, what happens when you see somebody that is literally falling apart because they believe so um, passionately about something? Yeah. You're right in there. You know, your heart's being torn out. You're like, you know. It actually makes you much more curious about what's going on with them. Yeah. 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 So it really comes, it's that judgment. So if we can learn to suspend judgment, not only for others, but for ourselves, Mm -hmm. we can start to unlock a lot of this that sits deeply within ourselves. So it's suspend the judgment and examine it so it's not just stop it from happening it's then take a moment to look at why that judgment came up in the first place yeah yeah because that judgment is the it, that if you follow the breadcrumbs back to where that started <laughs> yeah it's it could be anything around some like a limiting belief that you've been told as a child you know women aren't supposed to do that or girls aren't good in math and whatever but if you follow it far enough you'll see where it was planted mm. and when you get to that that sort of root you can say is that true (laughs) is it true and if you can start asking that and answering that you'll find that you basically allowed yourself to operate on that limiting belief or that assumption or that interpretation yeah whereas because you've never questioned it right assumptions are huge that way and we're really good at it because it's happened 10 times before it's going to happen again we do this at work all the time so and so is going to be the same old sort of crotchety you know (laughs) i'm going to go to that meeting and i'm going to get resisted but then you come in without an open mind you've come in without um, an opportunity to make it something different yes and so you get on the railroad and everybody follows and Oh, lo and behold, my assumption is true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually, um, you know, my my deep seated sort of thing was color of my skin. And so I was always the darkest in my family and that sort of thing. And coming from a South Asian background, it was like the darker you are, the worse it gets and all of these things. And it wasn't actually until I came to Canada and um in Nova Scotia, when I first moved to Jersey, I was I was exotic. I was like, "Ooh, this beautiful!" Suddenly, I was beautiful because it's so different. But that made me feel different in some way too. But it wasn't until I sort of 
unpacked all of that and I was smiling. I know our listeners won't be able to see me, but I was smiling <laughs> when you said, just think to yourself, is that true? And I had this deep seated feeling and belief that I was less than because I had darker skin. And when I sat back and thought, is that true? And I was like, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. What on earth? You start to believe the stereotypes and the projections that are put on us. And yes. this is the thing about stereotypes and, and, and prejudices and these sorts of things. They're based on a very little finite bit of information that the mind wants to categorize. Yeah. Somebody labels it. It's mentioned so many times that it becomes as truth. And in a very backwards way, we become our victims to it. Yeah. And we know it's not the truth because we allow that to say, oh, well, and everybody does it because you may not do it towards your own, but you'll do it maybe towards another outgroup, you know, yeah. and then, but that's where you have to catch yourself. You have to mm. say, where, where is that starting? Where, where is that coming? That? <laughs> and it's, you're absolutely right. It's not obvious. Like within my family was never meant to, was never made to feel bad about that at all, but it was the entire culture and society around us that I didn't even realize was seeping into my mind. Well, I had a very similar situation. So when we came, we, we faced this, you know, this prejudice yeah. and discrimination and, and racism. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward 20, 25 years later, everything Bollywood comes into being. And all of a sudden, <laughs> and it's cool. know, and, having the you know. beautiful clothes and having the, and it's like, it, it is like, okay, I lived I don't like you because of this. And I've lived, I love you because I of this. love you because. Of and this. so, yes. and that's when you say, what is the truth of the matter? Well, no, I didn't change people's attitudes change towards it. Mm -hmm. And herein lies the hope. Yes. Herein <laughs> lies the hope because we okay. do not have to hold the preconceptions or the assumptions or the limiting beliefs that we have, regardless of our color. So yes. we want systemic racism to change the ability for someone to change their minds and change the system exists. Mm. So I hold hope in this whole process. I hold it in the hope of the next generation. We're very intolerant of racism. Yes. You know, the, yes. They're, and, and any kind of ism, right? You know, they have friends that are of all sorts of makes and models and sizes and genders. I love know? it. It's amazing. And yeah. yeah, the, the non-binary. And mm -hmm. we never talked about this when we were growing up. Never. And you right. get so much attitude for non-binary. What do you mean? Why do, why do I have to address him or he? She, I was like, take a moment and try to understand. <laughs> like, can you imagine being addressed in a way that you are, is not true to who you are your entire life? So going back to it, yes, we can because we felt it. So if yeah. you never felt it, there's that discomfort it. that has to happen. And, mm. and it doesn't have to be done in an overt way, yeah. but, but learning to empathize, learning to listen to the other person's story. And that's really what most people who have been sort of, I'll say having the white privilege need to do right now is listen. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it about you and your brown friend or your black friend or anything like that. Listen to the person that's in front of you and understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Because until you won't be able to do anything until you do, because you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the feeling, you don't have the understanding. Yeah. And understanding, I think, um, yes, absolutely, our allies 100%, but, you know, for each other, there is, um, it's so important for us to be lifting 
each other and being there for each other. And I hate to see when there's, you know, this aggressive competition or jealousies or all of the things. And, and I've almost felt it myself, like being in Nova Scotia. Um, it, oftentimes you are the only one. And it's difficult, but at the same time, you feel like, ooh, I'm the only one, check me out. And then like yeah. other people just like me start appearing. And um, I, I took a moment. I had to take a moment. I was like, oh, what's happening in my head? Hold on now. And then I suddenly just jump right into like, you know, super supportive and all of these things. But I had to check myself because I was suddenly, I felt a little uncomfortable with not being the only one. Yeah, which we're all susceptible, which yeah. is why it's so difficult for those who have power right now to share the power. It's the same mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we all, we're capable of both, right? We're, we're capable of doing these mean things and we're capable of this unbelievable, you know, compassion and kindness and love. Yeah. And so it comes down to your choice. What mm-hmm. are you choosing to do? Yes. Because you could do either. And yeah. so in considering or discerning the right response because we're going back to that in little ways that kind of full circle yeah it's it's what is what is it that you want to leave behind do you want this person feeling uncomfortable do you want them to be better off do you want them to suffer Mm -hmm. because you have that power we all have that power in whatever way you know it, it, it doesn't have to be the richest person in the world you don't have to be it's it's because we are in relationship we have that power right and and so if you can realize that you have choice in that of how you can create space or make somebody else feel or allow, then, yeah. then that will help you understand the level of power that you have. Yeah. And it, it all kind of comes down to, uh, I think it's my Angela's quote that's people will never remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And I, that is so true. And, and I have been made to feel, feel many ways and made, you know, deep commitments to myself that I would never make anyone else feel that way. It feels awful. So it it's feels awful. awful. Yeah. And so yeah. why would you, and here's the other thing, when, it's interesting, I think we're hardwired for this. When we do something nice for somebody, we feel yes. good. <laughs> yes, yes, of course and, and we do. The majority of us feel really bad when we do something bad to somebody. Yes, so it's a disaster for me, yeah. Our, our own emotions, I mean, unless you are, you know, uh, have a condition where you cannot feel that, mm-hmm. um, you, we are hardwired to be that empathetic. And that's why, you know, there's so many proverbs that talk about how, you know, whether you're doing good or bad, you're the one, you're the actual you're benefiting. of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> and you don't even have to believe it, you just feel it. Yes. Um, and, and so this idea is, well, if you really do want your life to be better, it's actually by having others feel better too. Yeah, you know, it's your actual situation. Yeah, that builds your life. And then if you live it with curiosity, it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's um, so anything I am curious about, I have to dive really deep. So I was curious about, uh, I didn't even mention martial arts, did I? So I used to teach martial oh. arts and I was in martial arts for a while. And I was training for my black belt. So I oh my gosh, you went a, deep into martial arts, black, black belt, belt. no joke, wow. I was instructing, and then I sustained, as I was training, I sustained this horrible hamstring. Um, oh no. Uh, basically, I couldn't walk, like I literally couldn't walk. Oh and, and I thought, okay, what do I do now? I, I re- I'm so close, right? And I had to let it go. I had to say, wow, you know, this was not going to happen. And unless I wanted to 
So what I did was I thought I'll put, I'll shelve it. Right. So it'd been seven years. I was working my way to this and I was so close. And then I thought, but I need to heal myself. So that's how I got, went into yoga and, and I healed my hamstring oh, through so yoga. Interesting. But then my mind did something very different <laughs> when I did that. I started to really study yoga, Ayurveda, healing the body. And I realized, I questioned, why did I want that black belt? I, I could have done it and I could have gone back. I'd gone pretty far. But then by then yoga had a hold of me and it, <laughs> it was really understanding my own brain. And, and then I thought, no, I can actually leave that. I'm done because it just put me into another place. And so I teach everything that I learn so that I really understand it. Oh, that's a great philosophy. (laughs) That's how I become a teacher of so many things. And I find it's just easier to explain when you've actually been, right? You you have to, you have to um, digest so many things, but still all the while remembering that somebody else is having another experience. So yes. you can be a guide, but you can't tell them what to do. You know, you, there's a lot of that. So in the, in the spirit of being a guide, um, <laughs> many people hardwired achievement, 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 awards, medals, black belts, all of these things, education, this, that, or the other thing. That's how you define your success. It defines, you know, your life. So what was the motivation behind your black belt and why did you let that go? Yeah, it was, well, it was, you kind of get caught up, right? You, you Because it's set up to achieve, 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 yeah. you've got, you, you get invested. And that's work, that's in your social relationships, that's in anything that you're doing in your community. And you, and even in yoga, you can be a 200 hour teacher or a 500, a 750, yeah. a thousand hour teacher. Like, you know, all the levels, there's always a level. There's yeah. always a level. <laughs> Yeah. And so what you have to remember through these processes is more about what you're learning than whether you've achieved something that somebody else is judging. Mm, right? Oh, so, you need to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> right? so, so get the level, but is yeah. it for the level or is it for your growth in that level? Is it, yeah. so what is the measuring stick? Is it because, other people or is it about your own life journey? So it comes down, is it serving you? So did, mm-hmm. was going back and getting the black belt serving me or was I in a mental place now where something else could serve me? And that's what I decided. Something else could fill that void. And I didn't have to make myself do that because at some part I had to question it. Was it important to have that black belt? (laughs) Is it serving me? That's so important because if you're not nourishing yourself, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't do all of these great things out in the world right. that we and we ignore that now. we yeah. we ignore the intelligence of the body the emotions and the brain working in unison mm. we might be feeding simply the ego of achievement right. and remember that achievement is a construct mm-hmm. we have this framework in order to judge where somebody should be and what they should get paid and whether they should have letters behind their name not to belittle any of those achievements no. Especially if it's something that you truly love and you want to do. <laughs> yeah. But how does that then rank one human over another? How do I have less worth if I don't have that behind my name? And um, and this you see in corporations all the time. Um, they'll say, oh, well, we couldn't find anybody of BIPOC nature that has this 
you know, and this has been the excuse or something like that. Yeah. Well, do I need an engineering degree to do this? Do I? <laughs> do I really? <laughs> so, so that's part of the systemic racism that might exist. Yeah. I had to have a laugh when I, so I first saw um, sort of this diversity inclusion chief officer come up. The early yeah. warnings were about five years ago. I remember seeing it on my LinkedIn feed. I'm thinking, that's a new one. That's, that's a new one. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. And then I started to see who were getting these positions and what they're, and even this year, because I was studying it, I just, I put that into LinkedIn and I said, okay, you know, what kind of things are going to come back to me? Well, they wanted all these high, high achievements. Degrees and achievements yeah. and yeah. And diversity, equality and inclusion are about, and accessibility, I'm going to add, are about a lived experience. Yes. Nowhere did it say you must have a lived experience. Nowhere on the res. There's nowhere on a resume to put what your lived experience. Yeah. So what it told me was everybody's scrambling. They don't understand. They're doing it the way they normally would. Mm. And this is just looking at a different problem, but in a way that they're comfortable solving. Yeah. And it, it won't get solved through that, right? It's going to take a lot of effort from a lot of different kinds of people. And it will happen over time. But like I said, this is the first time being in this country for, you know, 48 years that I've <laughs> felt that something's actually shifted. <laughs> I think globally it's shifted. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I, I've always said I'm very lucky to live in Canada. I appreciate everything about this country. And we have ways to go also where I never claim that we're perfect. It's wonderful and great and we're not perfect. No, nowhere is. Um, but I think globally, this is the first time that a conversation and an awareness has happened around racism in a big right. way. And if we hadn't all stopped for COVID, I don't think it would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree because, and that was my impetus for leaving my job to begin with was to get some space and some openness for something to come in that was different. And I'm pretty good at picking things that don't necessarily belong together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I will study different things or read different things and, and then they'll start to digest, you know, they'll percolate and digest and then they'll make sense later on. But they may make sense three months from now. They make sense three right. years from now. You know, you yeah. have to trust that your lived experience will eventually make it, uh, you know, that that one pot meal <laughs> at the end of the day, um, yeah. even though the ingredients may not make sense at the, at the beginning. Yeah. But I, I, I think when you say a global scale, this is important because everybody in their own way was kind of, quote unquote, fighting this or dealing with this. I mean, I remember years ago thinking about, some of, you know, some of the great bands that came out of Australia and New Zealand, they were talking about the Maori people and, you know, how they had this plight of giving back their lands and things. And I remember being interested in that, but not really understanding that. Right. And here I was in Canada being blind to the fact that this was going on right in my backyard. Right here. Yeah. So just as somebody white makes sort of go, oh. I didn't know this was happening to these brown people. Or we do the same thing. People. Yeah. 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 So, so realizing that we're all in this and we all have something to learn and gain and understand about in groups, out groups and who we are yeah. is, is really important because when you move from minimization, the next step is really about acceptance mm -hmm. and acceptance is the first time you find true equality. You're different. Okay. I'm different, but we're equal. Mm -hmm. and when you move to adaptation, 
you've gone past the equality. So you're saying now I'm just adapting to whatever's different that comes my way. But that means we didn't need a different framework because it doesn't work from denial to. (laughs) (laughs) Those frameworks are not going to make it going to happen. And people that are already highly adaptive are people that have had to navigate this already regardless. So adaptive is almost the step where the water starts to flow, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you know how to weave around all of the barriers and the tree branches that have fallen in, the boulders and the rocks and all the man-made obstacles or whatever, if you think about like a river flowing. Adaptive is when it really starts to flow. And it's not not about an obstacle. Mm. It's part of nature. Right. We're going to already have have it. We're going to have a struggle. We're going to have some easy effortless time. We're going to have that. But that is really the macro and the microcosm of nature to begin with. And if we see ourselves as part of nature, then we can understand it better. But as long as we're separate and commanding it or think we have command over it, we're fighting a losing battle. Because we're not the ones winning that one. (laughs) (laughs) We make all the plans that we would like in this world and life never unfolds the way we plan it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's been fun for me. I'll, I'll start in, um, I'm actually joining Deloitte in, uh, in January. Oh, fabulous. Congratulations. And, um, yeah. And, and I'm, thank you. I'm so, I'm so sort of jacked up to take all this newfound knowledge about EDI and, and I'm an interior designer by, by training. Love and it. so I want to understand how EDI we, as designers, we always looked at accessibility because you kind of have to, it's part of the built environment. Yeah. But how does this human side of being who you are at work get, um, get facilitated through the built environment? That's mm. what I'm really interested in. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think that's an amazing new chapter coming up in your life. <laughs> and you'll have lots of opportunities to be very curious and dive in and, and, and accept joining a consulting firm like Deloitte it is by nature an opportunity to teach um and just share the knowledge that you've gained so I think that's an amazing I'm really excited for the people that I'm going to meet and the things I'm going to learn oh yeah no it's going to be amazing um and this has been an amazing conversation I really appreciated it uh is there anything you would like our listeners to hold on to sort of closing remarks yeah be kind to yourself you know mm-hmm. through right. all curiosity if if we can be kind to ourselves and others that will create the space and you'll I feel good it. <laughs> <laughs> bonus being you i love that i love that thank you so much this was a really great conversation and i'm sure our listeners found it extremely helpful so we appreciate your time I hope so. I've enjoyed myself and I really enjoyed talking to you. Amazing. Thank you.